Let's open up there to Judges chapter 14. Last week we studied Samson's birth and Samson's brawn. And this evening we study Samson's bride and Samson's bet. And we're going to see in the end it gets pretty bad. You know, in the book of Romans chapter 5, it says that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. And you want to know something? That is true. And I know I've experienced that in my life. That, man, you know, God has forgiven me. And God, he continues to forgive me, you know. And I just can't get away from that. I can't preach a different message. Otherwise, I'll be preaching a perverted gospel. You know, God's grace, God's blood, God's forgiveness really does wash away our sins if we are Christians. But here's the thing. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 6, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, certainly not. Perish the thought. And I think when I read the life of Samson, you know, there is so much here you know, but when I read his life, I think, you know, here's a guy where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. But here's the thing that he did wrong. He continued in sin. And therefore, he was a man with so much potential. And in the end, we see that he did not reach that potential. And so my prayer is as we study his life in depth a little bit more, that you and I would learn lessons. And so that in the end, one day when you're there on your deathbed, one day when it happens, the rapture, we're caught up, whatever it is, that we would have no woulda, coulda, shouldas, no reserves, no regrets, that you and I will be able to say, like Jesus said, like Paul said, I finished the work that he gave me to do. By God's grace, you know, that can happen to us. Look what we read here in Judges chapter 14. It says in verse 1, Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. And so he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughter of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. can't help but notice there again in verse 1 that Samson went down to Timnah. Samson went down to Timnah. You know, this would be true geographically if you were to look at a map. Timnah was four to six miles south of Samson's home. This would be true in topography for Timnah was 800 feet lower in elevation than Samson's home. But more than anything else, this is true spiritually. For as we study chapter 14 of Judges, we see the beginning of the downfall of Samson. You know, and it's not by coincidence, undoubtedly it's the Holy Spirit pointing out the fact that he went down. We see it here in verse 1. We see it again in verse 5. Samson went down. We see it in verse 7. Then he went down. It hurt his parents in verse 10. His father went down. This is what happened. Samson went down. Reminds me of Jonah chapter 1, verse 3. Remember that verse? It says, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. You know, that's what happens a lot of times, you guys. People, prophets, judges, those who are anointed by God, called by God, commissioned by God to do great things for God end up with lives I think like Jonah who when you look at the book I don't think he finished the race nor did Samson they went down and we have to be so careful we have to learn a lesson Samson went down when he shouldn't have he ventured into places he shouldn't have been he sinned with his feet and then he sinned with his eyes Notice again what we read in verse 1. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw, he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. If you have an NLT or an NET, it says that this Philistine girl caught his eye. You know, they say that men are visual. And I would have to say that most of the time this is true. 
You know, there are tons of visual values in this world that we live in, and that's why we have to be careful that we do not sin with our feet, nor should we sin with our eyes. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. You know, I I can't tell you, and I'm sure you can talk to pastors and leaders and people, how many men have been caught and brought down the same way Samson was. Because they sinned with their feet. They went there where they shouldn't have been, and they sinned with their eyes. This is why our Lord Jesus said in Luke 11, 34, The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is also full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. This is why Job said in Job 31, verse 1, I have made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? You've got to make a covenant with your eyes. Now, if you see a young woman or a so-called good-looking guy or gal, you know, that in and of itself is not a sin. But when that first look turns into a second look, and then you start taking mental pictures, checking her out like that, then that lust will turn you to dust. That's what happens. We can't sin with our feet. We can't sin with our eyes. You see, it got so bad with Samson that... Without even marrying her, without even meeting her, I'm sorry, he wanted to marry her. (laughs) In other words, here's the way it is. It was all about looks for Samson, huh? I mean, it got so bad that that was his determining factor. He hadn't even met her yet. And so what does he do? He commands his parents there in verse 2 to get her for him as a wife. And we're going to see in the end that That's why we have to sanctify our every member of our body in a very practical way to God. You know, our lips, our our eyes, our, 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 our ears, our nose, I mean, you name it. Every member of our body, our feet, our hands, it all has to be given and surrendered in a very practical way to God. You see, Samson here is a lesson for us. And so we read in verse 3, Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. You see, Samson sinned with his feet. He sinned with his eyes. But most importantly, he sinned with his heart. Huh. Why, why do we say it? Well, look, look what we read right here. Who did Samson want to please? Himself. Huh. We see later, look in verse 7, then he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. God confirms it. God says it again. That was his problem. No wonder Samson would only begin to deliver Israel. Remember back in chapter 13, look at verse 5. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. You see, you know, that's the one thing that I just pray that God would take this word and really use it in our life. Because we don't just want to begin. We want to finish. Samson definitely did not finish. When you look at Samson, we see what a contrast. You know, as we celebrate Christmas, you know, when Jesus came to earth, think about that. As a baby, he came as a bondservant. I love what Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 38. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Not my will. That's life. That should be our life. I know it might sound foreign because so many of us here want our creature comforts. We want to pet ourselves. We want to do our own thing. But that's really not the life of a Christian. Jesus said, I came not to do my will, not to do what I want, but what my Father wants. He said more explicitly in John chapter 8, verse 29, And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that... Please him. 
You see, and that's got to be the determining factor of all our decisions and all our days. Lord, is this pleasing to you? Or otherwise, you will be a Samson. You will be, when it all comes down to it, and you get down to really what's going on, a lot of times, man, Christians are living to please themselves. And that's why we have to be careful. I mean, shouldn't the choice of our lives and the choice of our wives be pleasing to the Lord, first and foremost? You know, this was simply wrong, and Samson's parents knew it, And notice again their objection there in verse 3. Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? You know, the interesting thing is that the other nations, there were other nations that practiced circumcision, but the Philistines were so bad that they did not even practice circumcision even as a physical right. They knew it was wrong. How did they know and how do we know? Well, because the Lord had explicitly said that a believer cannot marry a non-believer. Exodus 34, 12 through 16. Deuteronomy 7, uh, verses 1 through 3. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them, utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them, nor shall you not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. You see, it was clear. And we're going to see, and I don't want to jump too far ahead, but here's the thing. Samson violated the clear general commands of God and Samson also violated the personal convictions that God had placed on his life. Therefore, Samson stripped himself of the power and the anointing of God. You see? And we all have that. We all have the clear-cut commands of the Bible, general commands for everybody, but we also have our own Nazarite vows, don't we? We all have our personal convictions. Things that God says, no, I don't, that's not for you. Yes, that's for you. Samson violated them both. You see, he was not to marry a non-believer. And just in case anyone's here struggling with that, you know, I just want to encourage you. I want to admonish you to know that this is not just an Old Testament civil law for the nation of Israel, but it's the command of Christ for all Christians. Let's turn there to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I know you probably know this verse, but there might be one person here today, and if it's just for one, you know what? It's worth it, man. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? There's no fellowship there. And what communion has light with darkness? There's no communion there. And what accord has Christ with Belial? There's no unity there. What part has a believer with a non-believer? I mean, there's not even a part of your life that you can share together that has any significance to it. If you're a believer, do not fall in love with a non-believer. You know, and I always like to tell people, man, you got to make sure they're Christians. You're not just wondering. You're not like, well, they come to church, you know, a few times. And no, you want to see some big, huge fruit man, in their life. Absolutely. If you're a Christian, you cannot date a non-believer. Uh, you cannot marry a non-believer. Don't even go there. What I've seen happen a lot of times is Christians, maybe the girl gets lonely, the guy gets you know, impatient, whatever it is, and then they start talking and, you know, they just, you know, they end up just like the, we read here, Samson, it says that she caught his eye. And that's what will happen is they'll capture your heart. And so that's why you have to be friends. You know, just fellowship together. Go to church. You know, you see, you don't have to go any farther than that. 
And what you do is you get to know somebody. Right here we see the Lord says in verse 16, What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You see, it's not just an Old Testament civil law for the nation of Israel. This is a command for all believers. And if you think you're the exception, you're going to find yourself in big trouble. Be very careful with this. Back in Judges, we see that this is something that both children and parents need to be aware of and they need to hold with all their hearts. As a parent, do everything in your power to not allow your children to be messing around with non-believers. You know, unfortunately, Samson's parents, um, they said the right thing. It says right here they objected verbally but as we saw last week, they let Samson lead them. You know, and I know, you know, as a parent, sometimes it's hard. You know, you're like, man, I just can't control them. Well, you know, find a way. Find a way. Establish authority at a young age. Very important. Because when they get older, they need to be in submission to you. You cannot follow your children. You must lead them. And to be a leader is not easy. Man, there's a, it's an art to it. But God will give you the wisdom. You see, Samson's parents were all talk. We're going to see later in verse 10 that the father not only attends the wedding, he ends up approving of the wedding. And so he's, in one sense, just as much responsible for the fall of Samson as he is. And if you're here today and you're a parent, you have a heavy responsibility. Understand that just as Samson was chosen for a task, so are your children. I do encourage you to realize that and to pour into them. Lead them. Don't let them lead you. And so all this was happening. Samson's way off. His parents are way off. And so God's hands are tied, right? Samson's in sin, and so are his parents. And so God can't do anything good, right? Wrong. Because <laughs> look what we read in verse 4. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, that he, that's God, was speaking, seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. I don't know if you guys remember the cycle of judges. It's disobedience leads to discipline, leads to despair, and then that leads to deliverance. Here was a time when God would deliver his people. What we're going to see at this point is that God would give his people an element of relief, pockets of peace, drops of deliverance, and here's the way it works. Although God did not choose this wedding, he would use this wedding to move against the Philistines. Now, that doesn't make it right. Whatever you do, don't think, well, see, God makes exceptions. No, it doesn't make it right. God's not the author of evil, but obviously he allows it. And in his sovereignty, he is able to take anything and everything and accomplish his purposes. God's people would win. Samson wouldn't. Neither would his parents. You see, we need to know how God is sovereign and on the throne. Because some people might read verse 4 and think, see, it was the Lord's will all along. No, it wasn't. It was his permissive will. But still, his sovereign will would be accomplished. Remember Joseph? You guys remember the story of Joseph? Remember his brother sold him into slavery? Now, do you think God approved of that? No. God would never approve of a brother, a sibling, to sell their brother, their sibling into slavery. But did God use it? Absolutely. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Joseph told him straight out, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good, right? How about not only Joseph? I mean, we see it with so many people. Jesus. I mean, they killed God. They killed him. We killed him. The Romans did. The Jews did. But wasn't God doing a work in the process? In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter said, him... 
being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, that's God's sovereignty, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. That's man's depravity. And God is able, huh? When we read that right here. You know, it may not have been the best or easiest thing for Joseph or Jesus, but it was the best thing for the people of God. And it definitely was not the right thing for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery, for the Jews and Romans to crucify Christ. But God, in his amazing sovereignty, was able to use their wrongs for his rights. And remember, you guys, when it looks like Satan rules, God overrules. God's still on the throne. All of Satan's so-called victories will in the end be his defeats. And so we read here in verse 5 that Samson went down, there it is again, to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat though he had nothing in his hand. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Warren Wiersbe talks about um, Samson. And uh, if I could just use my own language, he trips him out, man. (laughs) I mean, we trip out on Samson. He's a riddle. He's an enigma. He's uh, a curious story. I mean, here we see him now just in straight-out sin. You know, he's about to get married to someone, or he's going to at least try to get married. And he goes down, and as a lion is going to attack him. Think about that. Have you guys ever been face-to-face with a lion? I mean, that would be pretty crazy, huh? Some of you here are afraid of chihuahuas, man. Imagine a, a lion, you know? You know, I mean, just, and then he just, man, the spirit of the Lord comes upon him and he just tears him apart. He tears apart the lion with his bare hands. Talk about a gift. I mean, this was a gift that he had. He had the gift of supernatural strength. You know, and some people will think, well, if he's so gifted, then he must be so godly. You know what? It doesn't always work that way. At least there can be a time, there can be a season where someone who is very gifted, they might not be that godly. Samson, here is a lesson for us, man. Be careful, man, when we look at the outside of things. You know, what we read right here is this time Samson not only goes down to Timnah, but worse, notice it says right there, he came to the vineyards of Timnah. He came to the vineyards of Timnah. There he is again, sinning with his feet. I mean, what's a man who's taken a Nazarite vow doing in a vineyard? You guys know, according to Numbers chapter 6, he's not supposed to cut his hair. He's not supposed to touch a corpse or come near anything of the vine. I mean, he's not supposed to drink wine, touch grapes, eat raisins, nothing like that, right? And there he is again. It says right there in the vineyards of Timnah. I mean, what we're basically seeing and what I think when I read his life, because I read ahead, chapter 15 and 16, is a guy who was given a whole lot of chances. How about you? Have you been given a whole lot of chances? God is gracious, huh? God is good. But let me tell you something. There is a line. I'm not saying a line where you lose your salvation. Because in the end, we see Samson's in the hall of faith. In the end, God heard his prayer. But I'm talking about this line where it disqualifies you from ministry. The things that God wanted to do in your life, you will not do. It's a warning to us, you guys. It really is. You know how we need to be so sensitive to the clear-cut commands of God and how we need to be so sensitive to the personal convictions and things that God has called us to obey personally and individually. Samson was not supposed to go near a vineyard. When he comes to the vineyard of Timnah, however, it's interesting. A young lion comes against him. Now, I wonder if he wouldn't have gone to the vineyard, if he wouldn't have experienced this lion. You know, maybe not. You know, when I read that right there, and I know for those of you guys who have been studying your Bible, don't you immediately think of 1 Peter 5.8? Yeah, huh? 
Because the Bible says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, in one sense, Samson brought this upon himself. You know, we're not only to pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, we're also to obey. Lord, help me not to lead myself into temptation. You know, he brought this upon himself. But thank God for his grace in all of our lives, including Samson, right? Because it's here for the first time that we read of the Spirit of the Lord coming mightily upon Samson. And with God's strength, he's able to tear the lion apart with his bare hands. And this is what you and I can do when even the devil himself comes against us. You see, and for us here, it's different. It manifests itself in different ways. Some of you here, you got a short fuse. Some are angry. Some are lustful. You name it, man. There are so many things: covetousness, laziness. I mean, you name it. A lot of different things. The enemy comes in, and all I know is that through the Lord, we can have the victory. Remember Samson's birth, Samson's brawn. We read last week that the Spirit moved upon him. Remember, if you look back at chapter 15, uh, verse 14, we see, I mean, see, we see it back in chapter 13, verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. Here we see the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Look again, if you look at the same chapter, verse 19, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And we see the same thing over in chapter 15, verse 14, that the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. All I know is this, that Samson had this gift, he had this power that we don't even see among the other judges. He had a very unique gift. He's an illustration, really, of the power of God in the life of the believer. It's not something we earn, but it's made available to us as his children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You see, the power of God, just like Samson, is available to all of us. We don't have to sin. We don't have to fail. We can win. Because the power of God, like this, is available to all of us. It won't be a, you know, like a, you know, a, a ten-round you know, split decision. No, it'll be a knockout in the first round, man. We'll win. Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Samson is a picture of the power of God available to the child of God. It's not that we're Superman, but we experience supernatural strength from Jesus Christ. I mean, think about it. What would you do if suddenly you were given the strength to tear a lion apart? I mean, there you were about to die, and God stepped in. God came in. God came in in that moment when you were about to die, and he saved your life. He gave you strength. He gave you strength to overcome the addictions. He gave you strength to carry on. He gave you strength and your life was turned around. What would you do if you were Samson and you experienced that mighty power? I mean, you know, you haven't been doing curls or push-ups or anything like that. You haven't been working out. You can't take the credit to yourself. You can't. God came in, right? I mean, wouldn't the logical conclusion be to live life for God who gave you life? Shouldn't that have been what Samson should have done at this point? Yeah. But unfortunately, not too many people know the simple saving logic of the Lord. And a lot of times, you guys, we don't live life for the one who gave us life. Samson right here, he experienced it. Some might say, well, see, you know, God's gifts is given to us 
and we can do whatever we want because the Spirit came upon him and while he was in the middle of his sin. No, it wasn't God approving his sin. It was a God's attempt of removing the sin. Look at what I can do in your life, Samson. And so in verse 7, it says, And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. Man, he should have went up. He should have went up. But instead, he went down. What ended up happening? You guys ever do this in the morning just out of curiosity? Ignore your alarm clock just out of curiosity. <laughs> you ever do that? It's like a wake-up call. And God's, you're like, snooze, snooze. Eventually, you know, it's only 10 snoozes allowed or whatever. <gasps> I overslept. <laughs> he ignored the wake-up call. Samson continued his downward spiral. Spiral, and the he-man with his she-weakness did not even flinch in what? His attempt to please himself. Ah, it's the heart of it. He sinned with his feet and he sinned with his eyes because he sinned with his heart. And in his heart, there was this American mentality that I've just got to do this to please myself. That's where he messed up. And so we read in verse 8, after some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. And so he took some of it in his hands and went along eating. And when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. They also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. Now, for those of you who have a sweet tooth, how many of you here have a sweet tooth? Instead of curiosity. You might not see the sin here, okay? But this was much more than a cavity. This is full-on depravity, right? Because, again, you know, and we get back to the personal convictions. We get back to the vow that he had entered into, that he was even given to him before he was born. Part of his vow to God was not to defile himself with a corpse. And Samson paid no never mind to the vow. He made this vow to God, but he ignored it. Why? Because he wanted some honey huh? and he wanted honey right in a couple of ways it might be interesting to note that samson he didn't tell his parents now right here it says yeah he didn't tell his parents verse 6 he didn't tell his parents and in verse 9 he didn't tell his parents and that tells me a, a couple of things about samson number one he knew it was wrong he knew it was wrong and number two he didn't have good communication with them we read the same thing in verse 6. He did not tell his father or his mother. And, you know, just in case, and I want to encourage you that our parents, I would say to you, if you're a parent, if at all possible, as much as depends on you, maintain the lines of communication with your children. Because remember, communication is your relationship. And you never want to come to a, pl a point in your parenting where your children won't communicate with you. See, so you want to try your best to maintain this communication. We're going to see later that this becomes a huge factor in Samson's life. Why? Because he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't even have any friends. And he doesn't have a communication with his parents. So what we read next in verse 10, his father went down to the woman. Oh, man, doesn't that break your heart? His father followed his son into straight-out sin. He went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there. The, the word feast, it comes from a Hebrew word that means to get drunk. And we don't know for sure. I don't want to overstep my bounds here, but it, it appears that Samson was just violating every aspect of his covenant with God. Eventually, we know he reveals the fact that his hair can't be cut part of the commitment right he gave a feast there for young men used to do so and it happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him now since we read here that the father went down to the woman this means that the father gave the green light and approved of the wedding even though it violated god's clear command it's funny how sometimes we will justify things when we really want to no wonder Samson, a man with so much potential, only began. 
No wonder Samson, a judge with so much power, was overpowered by his flesh. Why? Because his parents were not good heeders of God's word and they were not good leaders of their children. Be careful, you guys. We have a heavy responsibility as parents. We see Samson's birth, Samson's brawn, Samson's bride, and then Samson's bet. Because look what happens next. It says in verse 11 again, And it happened when they saw him that they brought him 30 companions to be with him. And then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle that we may hear it. And so he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now for three days they could not explain the riddle. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Why did Samson do this? You know, why did he enter into this bet? Now, it's possible that he did it for fun. I wouldn't be surprised if that's just the kind of guy Samson was. But more than likely, Samson did this if you just take it at face value, not for fun, but for fashion. You know, he figured this would be a great opportunity to pick up 30 fine linen robes and 30 sets of festive clothing, as the NLT calls it. But whether it was done out of fun or covetousness, it definitely was not an exercise of wedding wisdom. Okay, and we know that some of you, a couple are going to get married here. Don't do this at your wedding, okay? <laughs> it was not smart, right, in any way on Samson's part. It eventually brought the men to the place of threatening Samson's bride with her life and the life of her father's house. And when I see this right here, Samson wanting 30, you know, I mean, think about it, 30 changes of festive clothing. That would be like a full-on suit. Think about that. 30 suits and 30, you know, uh, uh, sets of like kind of like a fine linen undergarments. I mean, I think why, why would he want like clothing, you know? But we see that that's actually a problem that has brought a lot of people down. If I could say, I know it sounds weird, but, you know, Clothing, I guess, in, in one sense, is linked to the sin of, um, of vanity, right? And I think that we can be really, really caught up in that. And that can be a tug. You know, it brought Achan down. Remember Achan? He was coveting the Babylonian garment. Remember that? Brought the whole nation down. Sounds kind of weird. Or how about Gehazi? Gehazi was uh, the servant to Elisha. And we see in Second Kings chapter 5, that, you know, when Elisha healed Naaman, the, the Syrian of leprosy, he said, man, let me reward you. You know, Naaman, the Syrian, he was, had all this money, had all these clothes. And Elisha's all, no, that's not how we do ministry. You know, and, and as I've been going even through the, the minor prophets lately, I've been seeing how frequently the priests would teach for profit. How they would teach you know, to get paid. And just in case the Lord ever gives you the opportunity, you go out there, you know, be really careful with that. The Lord, man, he kind of laid it on my heart. No, you have enough money. If you go teach somewhere else, you don't need to get paid. That's my personal conviction because I fear God. And here we see that the prophets, the priests, they were getting paid. Here we see that that covetousness for clothing even, it brought Gehazi down. You know, it's to the point where he said, Elisha, you know what, I'm going to go to 7-Eleven real quick, right? And so he went, and what he did was, as, as, as Naaman was, was far away, he caught up to him. He said, you know what, Elisha changed his mind. He wants those clothes after all, you know, and some money and stuff. And says, oh, sure, you know, take it, you know what? And, and what ended up happening was when he came back, the Bible says in Second Kings chapter 5, verse 25, he went in and he stood before his master. 
And Elisha said to him, Where did you go, Gehazi? And he said, Your servant did not go anywhere. And then he said to him, Did not my heart go with you? When the man turned back from his chariot to meet you, is it time to receive money and to receive clothing? Olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence, leprous and white as snow. Oh, but it's just a little piece of silver. It's just a little Babylonian garment. Yeah, and God's testing your heart. All I know is that here, Samson, I don't know, and I don't want to sound like, you know, mean, but it just seemed to me like he wasn't doing anything right. I mean, everything about him was like, dude, don't you realize who you are in the Lord? Man, don't you realize the potential that you have? You know, and... I don't know, man. I see him here struggling. Not only do we see Samson longing, we also see Samson loaning, if I can just say that. Look again at chapter 14, verse 11. It happened when they saw him that they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now, in the New English translation, it says, when the Philistines saw he had no attendance, they gave him 30 groomsmen who kept him company. In other words, at his wedding, there were no friends of Samson there. He said, man, he doesn't have any groomsmen, none whatsoever. So they provided Philistine groomsmen. And even in that, and I've learned and I've studied and I'm just learning that there was so much to learn from Samson. But one other thing to learn is that he was a loner. And because of that, he suffered greatly. He isolated himself. He didn't even have a single friend to speak of. You know, you're here today. Man, I want to encourage you, man. Make sure you have friends. Pray for friends. You can't make it happen. But whatever you do, you've got to understand how important it is to have true, good, and godly friends. Proverbs 18.1 says, A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire He rages against all wise judgment. Why would you isolate yourself? Because you just want to do what you want to do. And you don't want anybody to tell you anything different. But what does a good friend do? What does a good friend do? They say, hey, dude, you're off. Repent. Get right. What's up with that? That's what a good friend does. But when you isolate yourself, you protect yourself and you find yourself doing your own thing. That was one of the things about Samson. Wiersbe said this, Samson was a loner. Unlike previous judges, he never rallied the troops. He never tried to unite Israel in throwing off the Philistines' yoke. For 20 years, he played the champion, but he failed to be the leader. Yeah, a leader has a job to do, and in one sense, and sometimes it is a lonely job, but he can't be alone. You know, not everyone's called to be a leader, you know, but God wants leaders to have those help him. What we find right here is Samson was a loner. Samson was struggling. Samson was strong, but he was not strong enough. Because look what we read in verse 16. Then Samson's wife wept on him. And said, you only hate me. You do not love me. (laughs) You have posed a riddle to the sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, look, I have not explained it to my mother or my father. So should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she pressed him so much. Then she explained the riddle to the sons of her people. And so the men of the city said to him, on the seventh day before the sun went down, this is from Jeopardy, right? What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Man, there's so much here, you guys. 
You know, Samson was strong, but he wasn't strong enough. This time it was his wife leading to his defeat. Next time it would be Delilah, and she would lead to his death. You know, sometimes we go through tests in life, and we fail them so that God can give us a revelation of who we are. Sometimes we go through life, and, and, and the reason we go through these tests is for preparation. Because one day you might be there again, and this time it might be where the stakes are a lot higher. This is very similar to when Samson eventually, you know, died. And it's interesting to me when I read this right here and I see, you know, Samson was defeated by this woman. His wife pressed him. Uh, she pressured him. She not only tried, she cried. You hate me. You don't love me. And I don't know if you guys wives ever do that. Unfortunately, she did what a lot of wives do. She got her way. She got her way, how? By nagging him. And unfortunately, Samson did what a lot of husbands do. He gave her his way. He gave in to his wife's manipulation. Some might even say what she would say, that there was no other solution. You know, look, Manny, didn't you see the Philistines threatened her? You know, and sometimes a wife will do that. They think, well, there's no other way. I have to get my way. Right? Some wives are like that. But think about it for a second. What if she would have just told Samson, this is what they've told me. You know, they said that if you, you know, defeat them with this, you know, riddle, then they're going to burn my house down or burn my father's house down. What would have happened if she would have told Samson communication? What do you think would happen? Samson would have beat him up, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. Sometimes we think there's no other way out. i got to get my way. No, you don't have to get your way. She doesn't. Samson doesn't. Let's let God have his way. I know it's a funny situation here, but man, you know, we need to be so careful. You know, if she would have simply communicated to Samson the words of their threat, Samson would have taken care of it with God's help. But we see here that Samson loses the bet. She tells them what's going on. You know, they then, you know, reveal the answer to the riddle. And look what we read in verse 19. The spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, took their apparel, and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. And so his anger was aroused, and he went back up to his father's house, which is something you husbands and you wives should not do. See, I'm going back to my mom and dad. You know, Don't do that, okay? He abandoned her. And so look what ends up happening. And so we read in verse 20, Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. So many lessons here, huh? I mean, if you go and you leave your wife and it can be physically, and it can be emotionally, and it can be spiritually. Don't be surprised if someone else finds her. I mean, there is so much here for us to learn. Don't let anger get a hold of you, man. You know, the, one of the interesting things in the Hebrew language, it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. In the Hebrew language, it really says that the Spirit of the Lord gained control of him. And that's what happens when we believe God and we tap in to His power by receiving the Holy Spirit. No, we read in verse 19 that the Spirit of the Lord gave Him power and He went down and He you know, killed these 30 guys. And some might say, well, why would God give Samson this type of victory? Well, Wiersbe said this, instead of going to a wedding, Samson should have gone to a war. You see, that was part of his gift. That was part of his calling. God gifted him and gave him power to defeat the Philistines. The only thing is, he just didn't do it according to God's agenda. And you know, if I could just close with this, the same is true for us. You guys, but we need to see this right here and realize that just because we still have the Spirit now, or just because we still have that position now, 
Even though here you are tonight, you're not keeping your promises to God, you're not living in obedience to Him, understand that doesn't make it right. We need to learn from the man Samson. Why? Because he was a brother who only began. You know, you've heard it said before, everybody starts well. Everybody does. Otherwise, you wouldn't even be in the race. question is, how are we going to finish, you guys? Remember Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Samson played with sin. He sinned with his feet. He sinned with his eyes. He sinned with his heart. Samson is a man who went down. He went down. He went down. He's a warning to us. He's an example of how God wants to use our lives, not just to begin, but to finish this work. I pray that Jesus Christ would truly be the power of our life. You married people here. You single people here. You parents here. You children here. You ministers here. You know, I'm excited about this new year, 2012. It's, it's kind of like an opportunity for a new beginning. And, you know, if God's stirring you up, I just pray, man, that you would wake up. You know, don't hit snooze anymore. Let's focus on the Lord. We got uh, communion now, and, and I think it would be so cool, and I thought it was really appropriate you know, to, to close the evening with just the best that we can, making Jesus the center of our celebration. Lord, we thank you so much. As I read about the power that came upon Samson when the lion roared and the lion attacked and the lion left, I was able to tear the lion apart with his bare hands because of you. And there is no temptation that will come our way, Lord that we won't be able to bear. You will provide a way of escape. You will provide victory for us. Help us, Lord God, to learn from these incredible lessons tonight. And as we partake of communion, Lord Jesus, I pray you forgive us, you cleanse us, and you fall on us. Holy Spirit, capture our attention that one over there or that one over there. Even me, my wandering heart, my wandering attention. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to focus, allow us to concentrate on you, Jesus. On your cross, on your love, on your holiness, and even on this opportunity that you're you're calling us to help us to respond, Lord. We love you. Bless this time of communion.